morning, everyone. All right, so um, before we start walking through Genesis 26, um, I want to just get you thinking here, a couple questions. So how often are you consciously aware that God is with you? I mean really aware, like on an average day. Really aware, believing it, knowing it, you know, deep down, God is with me today. He's with me right now. Is that a frequent experience for you? So if you're doing the fighter verses this year, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look up fighterverses.org and you can see it's kind of a Bible memory meditation plan. And so Psalm 139 is going to be the focus for the next two months, actually, as we memorize that chapter together and meditate on it. So in that psalm, David praises God for his omniscience. He knows everything and his omnipresence. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's ev- you cannot get away from God. You can't hide from him. You can't find yourself in a place where God can't reach you. So in Psalm 139, 7 and 8, it says, where, David's writing, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you're there. Height and depth and everything in between. And so this past week at prayer meeting where we kind of meditate on and talk about the passage before we spend time in prayer, I asked everybody, so is this good news or bad news for David? That God knows everything and he's everywhere. Well, in Psalm 139 at least, it's good news for David. So in verse 6 he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot, I'm, it blows me away what you know and how you're everywhere. Psalm 139.10 says, even there, like if I go I just can't escape you. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. So again, this is a good thing because he can't get away from the protection and the blessing and the care of God. So is God's omniscience and his omnipresence good news for you? Kind of depends on some things, doesn't it? (laughs) Do you want God to be with you? Well, if you do, again, this goes back to the initial question, do you believe God is with you? Like, is that your regular experience? Like, I know he's with me. Are you encouraged by that fact regularly? So God being with his people is actually at the heart of the passage that we're looking at this morning in in Genesis 26. And in this story that centers on Isaac, Abraham's son, right? Abraham and Sarah. We find this interesting combination of faith and fear. So one moment, Isaac displays strong faith. He believes the promises of God. He acts decisively in response to those promises. The next moment, his fears take over. And it's like he throws faith in the Lord to the wind He takes matters into his own hands, acts as if God's promises don't even exist, as if God doesn't exist, and that he's not with him. Can you relate to that at all? 
Like that kind of vacillation, that kind of pendulum swing, that kind of like schizophrenia, spiritual schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. Like one moment faith, the next moment fear. Well, if so, then I think you're going to find some great encouragement in this passage. Um, So one thing is clear in this passage. God's presence and his blessing is all of grace. Okay, It's all on account of God's totally undeserved promises, and we've got to believe his word of promise, even when there are threats that seem bigger than his promises. Even when we don't feel like he's with us. We've got to trust him. So let's look first at how Isaac displays great faith, and then we'll see this ugly unbelief as a result of this fear. Okay, so first point, faith and fear, verses 1 to 10. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So a little bell would go off if you were reading through, and if you've been here through the Genesis study, then you might remember back to chapter 12. Here's what chapter 12, verse 10 says. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So this comment in 26.1 alludes to that earlier episode and helps us because we're supposed to lay these two episodes side by side in our mind. Okay? So, this famine happens, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Why would you want to go down to Egypt? Because Egypt has the Nile River. So if there's a famine, maybe because of a drought, you need water so that you can have crops, so you can trust that there's going to be life and produce and, you know, You can survive down in Egypt. So God says to Isaac, no need to to run to that source because I'm going to be with you. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. And I will bless you. Because... To you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. He didn't go down to Egypt. So he believed God. So Isaac was willing to risk hunger in Gerar, where there's a famine, because he believed that God would be with him and would bless him. His faith in God's promises overcame his fears of starvation, fears of not being able to provide for his family. So this is like faith. This is conspicuous faith, right? It's a beautiful thing. But then things turn ugly (laughs) really quickly. Verse 7. When the men of the place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. 
she's really good looking. If I just knock you off, then I can marry her. So he lies, just like his father had twice. Although, at least his father's lie was a half-truth because, you know, um, Sarah actually was related to Abraham. But anyway, that's another story. Rebecca was not, so this is just a total lie. Look at verse 8. When he had been there a long time. So he lived under this deception, this lie, sustained it for a long time. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with... That might sound weird. It's probably it's like he was flirting, kind of being playful with his wife, with Rebecca's wife. It's actually a play on words because Isaac name, Isaac's name means laughter, right? So it's a play on words. So he's, you know, flirting with Rebecca. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. You see, he was driven by fear. He deceived because of his fear. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So again, if you've been tracking along through Genesis, you know that Abraham did the same thing, and he did it twice. He did it once in chapter 12 in Egypt with the Pharaoh there, And then in chapter 20, in this same area of Gerar with Abimelech, king of Gerar, not likely the same one because it would have been like 70 years before, Abimelech is like a title, just like Pharaoh is a title, okay? So in these verses, we have this juxtaposition, two things laid side by side, faith and unbelief, just like Abraham in chapter 12. Remember, he left his family, just left everything behind. Great faith, chapter 12, beginning and then pawns his wife off. He's a cowardly skunk. Faith and unbelief. So sadly, it's like father, like son. And this goes on generation to generation. So like fathers and mothers, like sons and daughters. This kind of fickleness (laughs) is still among us, right? It was true for Abraham and Isaac, and sadly it's true of us. So the, fav- the faith of our fathers is conflicted and fickle, we see in Genesis, just like ours is, right? Anybody? I mean, mine. So, so how do you react when you read about Isaac, like a coward, lying about his wife? How, how, how does that hit you? Like, oh, what an honorable man. I'm so encouraged and impressed. No, you, you're like, ugh, disgusted, right? Should it bother you? Yes, it should. But then I think we should all realize that we're looking in the mirror. We're looking in a mirror. We need to actually apply that disgust to ourselves. So we should see and own our own tendency to give way in the face of fear. So that disgust ought to actually, you know, kind of be the finger pointing back at us, like, ooh, it's ugly when I take matters into my own hands and forget the promises of God and the presence of God that he's with me. So we should actually look in and see our own conflicted faith 
and be honest with ourselves and chastened. But we shouldn't just look in. Like the Puritans used to say, for every one look in, take ten to Christ. Right? So we need to look up. Don't just look in, though that's helpful because we need to be honest about our fickle faith. But we should also look up and see God and his faithfulness, how he dealt with our fathers because he's going to deal similarly with us with the same kind of mercy and grace. And that's really an encouragement for us. It's a reassurance for us because we also are conflicted and inconsistent sinners, like so often inconsistent, right? So just like God dealt with our fathers, he will deal with us, his children. So let's look secondly at how God dealt with Isaac, verses 11 to 33. God is with you and will bless you. Verse 11. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So you can imagine Abimelech saying, you know, this guy, I've heard the stories, you know, my father, my grandfather, you know, this Abraham guy, which is his dad, was here, and he did the same thing, and you know what? Everybody was barren until Abraham prayed and God healed us. So do not mess with this guy. Do not mess with his family. Don't touch him <laughs> or you're, you're dead. Okay? So <laughs> Isaac doesn't trust God to protect him and God has to use this pagan king to reassure Isaac that he's going to protect him. So despite how ugly Isaac's unbelief was, God blessed him. He was with him. This is evidence right here. Abimelech's protective warning is evidence that God was with him and, it was gonna, and he was going to bless him. And we see it also in the next verse. Look at verse 12. More blessing. More indication of God's presence with him. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. What, what, what was going on? Why did he want to go down to Egypt to the Nile? There was a famine. So how in the world would you reap a hundredfold in the midst of a famine? Only if God was with you and blessed you, right? And that's just what the text says. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So did Isaac, you know, deserve all these blessings? No. This all came by God's grace, his covenant faithfulness, even with this cowardly save-his-own-skin skunk. That's really good news for inconsistent people like you and me. Look at verse 15. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Philistines probably stopped up those wells to keep too many nomadic herdsmen from competing with them, you know, for the region's pasture land, right? So with Abimelech sending Isaac away, there's hostility behind him. He's leaving that behind. And a waterless countryside ahead of him. So he's kind of like between a rock and a hard place, right? But God is with him. Right? And he's promised to bless him. So look what happens. Verse 17. 
So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. So he's kind of seeking to lay claim to these things that his father had possession of. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, That water's ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, meaning contention, okay, because they contended with him. So they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one too. So he called its name Sitna, which means like accusation or enmity or whatever. So he moves on from there, digs another, digs another well, and they didn't quarrel over this one. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means I wish I was at the beach. No, that's not, that's not what it means. But I'm sure you all do wish you were at the beach right now, right? Rehoboth means open spaces or room, okay? Saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. You see it again? I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my for my servant Abraham's sake. So again, all of grace, all of promise. Abraham received the promises and a covenant by sheer grace. Abraham did. And on the basis of that covenant, Isaac was the recipient of God's presence and his blessing. Again, all by sheer grace. And guess what? That is the only way any of us experience any blessing or God's presence with us. It's only by sheer grace. So grace leads to worship. Look at how Isaac responds. Verse 25, So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So Isaac responds to God's undeserved grace, his presence, his promise of blessing, with worship. There's a pattern here that we should take note of. God is the one who calls, and we respond. He's the one who saves, and we worship and thank him. He's the initiator. We respond. So we don't earn his love. We don't deserve his love. We don't climb up to him. He comes down to us in his grace and we respond with thanksgiving and praise and worship. So we can only love and praise and obey because he first loved us and blessed us and gave us grace. So God's presence with Isaac and blessing on Isaac continues. Um, Look at verse 26 here. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me? And have sent me away from you. They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. There it is again. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Eh, a little exaggerated, but the point is, It's obvious that God is on his side, and we don't want to pick a fight with his God. So would you make a covenant with us? 
the end of this verse 29, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So we see that the Lord is with you, that you are blessed of the Lord. So Isaac makes them a feast. They ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. So they made this pact, this, this peaceful treaty covenant. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said, we found water. Which again means Yahweh's with, God's with him, and he's blessed him. So he called its name Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Which, again, if you're reading along in Genesis, you know this is a pretty significant name. Do you know how that area originally got its name? Look at Genesis 21. I think we have it on the slide. You see the parallels between Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham reproved Abimelech, same earlier king, but same area, reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So again, it sounds like almost a completely you know, identical scenario. So again, God's faithfulness to Abraham. Once again, he's faithful to Isaac also. God was with Isaac. He was blessing him, and it was not because he was worthy. It was grace, and it's the same for us. So we hear the gracious words, promises of God in his word, and we trust him, and we obey, and then how many times does this happen? We wake up the next day and act as if there's no God. <laughs> as if he's left and forsaken us. I mean, we just wake up spinning with anxiety or fear or whatever. So isn't it great that instead of kicking us to the curb because of our proneness to wander, he rescues us and he reminds us and he forgives us and he blesses us. So we should be encouraged with the way God dealt with Jacob because that's the way he's going to deal with us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're a Christian, God has been with you. He is with you, and he will be with you. He has blessed you. He is blessing you. He will bless you. But oftentimes we don't feel like that's true, right? In fact, we feel like it's the opposite sometimes. Has he forgotten about me? Am I just forsaken, abandoned? Where is God in this? And we can feel cursed rather than blessed. So third point, how do you know that God is with you? How do you know that he is going to bless you. On what basis? How can we be confident 
that these things are true for us. It's so easy to feel alone and wonder if we are just totally on our own. And when we feel that way, what happens? We start acting like scared survivors, like we're not guarded and beloved sons and daughters, and we start doing some really crazy things, taking matters into our own hands, like lying about your wife. I mean, I don't think any of you are tempted to do that, but we do something where we take matters into our own hands. So how do you know? Well, there's actually two answers from this chapter that I think are helpful. The first one is we know that God is with us and will bless us because of the obedience of another. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 3 in chapter 26. Notice how this goes here. So God says to Isaac, sojourn in this land, I'll be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I'll give all these lands, all these covenant promises. I'll establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and will give, you, give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. And then look down at verse 24. You get the same idea. And the Lord appeared to Isaac the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not. For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So do you see it? The blessing that Isaac enjoyed was not earned by him. It actually wasn't even earned by Abraham. But it was received by him on account of the obedience of another. It was God's covenant with Abraham that made all the difference for Isaac. Isaac's blessing was won by Abraham. Does that sound familiar? Like a pattern? Does that sound like the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the new covenant? Look at Romans chapter 5, a few verses from Romans 5. So we were all, we had a father, Adam, right? Our first father. And his sin led us all into sin. So just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. But then in verse 16 it says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So... Sin brought condemnation. In Adam, we all deserve God's condemnation. But the free gift of salvation, of grace, following many trespasses, because we've all sinned grievously, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's the summary, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, all who trust Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see, all the blessing is because of the obedience of another. So if you are in Christ... If you have 
recognized your sin and your need for a Savior, and you have repented of that sin, you just turned from trying to run your own life and be, in the, be the Lord of your own life because you just made a mess of things, and you say, I need forgiven and cleansed. I need reconciled with God. I can't do this on my own. Only Jesus can save me. And you trust in Christ as your, as your Savior. Then you are blessed because of his obedience. You're blessed because he was cursed for you in your place. He took the curse so that he could give you the blessing. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So for God's people, if you're in Christ, God has been with you. He is with you. He will be with you. He has blessed you. He is blessing you, even in the face of lack and trial. And he will bless you on account of the obedience of of another. It's all by sheer grace. It's not by our works. So how do you know God is with you and will bless you? Because he promises to do so. The promise of the new covenant. All of these very great and precious promises are ours in Christ because of his obedience. So there's this song by a, a band that I really appreciate. The band is called the Gray Havens. And they have a song called This My Soul. So I'm just going to say this. I'm going to read these words so you've got to listen along. But what you need to do is write down the name of the song go listen to it because it would be a whole lot better that way. Um, but, you know, copyright, I'm not sure if we should play it in here. Anyway, so the, the Grey Havens, This My Soul, look it up later and, and listen to it. But this is such a powerful representation of the fact that every blessing that we have is because of the obedience of Jesus. So listen to these words. A voice came and spoke to the silence. The words took on beauty and form. The form took its shape as a garden was born. Then man from the dust came reflecting all goodness and beauty in life, but he lowered his gaze as he listened to the face of low desires. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man, Adam, has done, it all extends to you. Let the word shake on down along your spine and ring out true that you might find new life. The voice came and swords blocked the garden. None could return with their lives. A curse there was placed upon every man to face for all of time. No wisdom of man or rebellion could deliver new life out of death, but the voice with the curse spoke a promise that the word would take on flesh. This, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. Let the word shake on down along your spine and ring out true that you might find. Then the perfect Son of Man took the place the voice had planned since the garden and before. He took the swords and cursed the grave. There's nothing more to separate us from the promise, the words of a living hope. And this, my soul, you were born, you were born into. What this man has done, it all extends to you. 
Let the words shake on down along your spine and ring out true that you might find new life. So death came to us through the disobedience of one man, but life has come to us through the obedience of the second Adam, of Christ. So because of Christ, because of his obedience, God is with us and he will bless us. Which leads to the second way we know that God is with us and will bless us by believing the word of God. Okay, so think about this chapter, chapter 26. There's a famine, right? And Isaac starts to migrate to survive. So look again at verses 2 to 6 and just see the, 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 the um, progression here. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For, you, for to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to, your, to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Isaac settled in Gerar. He believed God's word. <laughs> he believed this word of promise, this word of blessing, and it freed him from the fear of a famine. He trusted that God would provide in the famine because he was trusting a specific promise, the word from God. But then he doubts, right? And he forgets God's promise and God's word when it came to his safety in Gerar, given the attractiveness of his wife. So we're going to conclude with some application regarding fear and faith, okay? So, we all have fears, right? We all face threats. There are always going to be threats to our safety and to our security. The question is whether or not we will be ruled by fear and forget God's promises and his presence with us, or whether we'll believe God's promise that he'll be with us and will bless us. This is huge. This is the difference between walking by sight and walking by faith. This is like, this is the Christian life. By grace, through faith, in Jesus. It's how we are set free from fear. So, you feel alone or fearful or anxious or abandoned or threatened or insecure, right? And we do all the time. What do you do? Do you give way to your doubts and fears? Like just start spinning and spiraling and, you know, believing all kinds of lies and, you know, you're like, before you even get out of the shower, you're homeless and, you know, totally destitute. Forecasting all this grief, like my life is just going to totally blow up. Do you give way to your doubts and fears and call God's presence and faithfulness into question or just totally forget about it? Don't even factor it in. It is so easy to do and it's so easy to spiral down so quick. So listen, famine hits, right? What are we tempted to do? To run to Egypt, to run to the Nile, some other source of safety or provision. We just grasp in at straws trying to find some security, self-medicate, 
But instead of spiraling down in unbelief and doubt, we can fight the good fight of the faith. God has been with me. I know he has. I can look back and see his track record. And it's not just a track record with me. Look at how he's dealt with all of his people out throughout history. He's trustworthy. He's blessed me. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Even if I don't feel like it, I know it's true. I'm not going to buy these lies. God is with me, so he has been. He is with me. Psalm 23 is true. Even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil because he's with me. He is with me. And Jesus said, behold, I'm with you always. I've got all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. God is with you, brother or sister. He is blessing you. He is working all things together for good for you. You can believe Romans 8, 28. You can take that of the bank. And God will be with you tomorrow, and he will bless you. Listen to the Beatitudes, just a few of them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, they shall see God. So even if you are single or widowed or divorced or in a difficult marriage, he is with you. If you are struggling to make ends meet, or totally unsure of what to do next, he is with you. If you are trusting Jesus as your Savior, if you are in Christ, he's with you. Even if you're fearful of threats, fearful of consequences, fearful of death, fearful of health problems and shrinking horizons, he is with you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. We need to believe what God has declared, even when we don't feel like it. Do you remember that song that we sung? I mean, I was like, yes, Christ is mine forever. It's like defiant in its faith. It's so encouraging this morning. Come rejoice, O my soul. Who are you singing to? Who are you talking to? You're preaching to yourself because you need to fight the good fight of the faith and not believe the lies. Because God's good, and he's made promises, and he can be trusted. So come rejoice, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Not any doing of my own. It's a gift. Fear is gone, and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. He has been with me. He is with me. He will be with me forevermore. He has blessed me. He is blessing me. He will bless me forevermore. So do you and I, do we always feel like God is with us and will bless us? No. Oh, then he must not be. He must be just as fickle as we are, right? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. My good days, he's with me. My bad days, he's like, you know, do I have to put up with you again? No. He's not fickle like us. He's faithful. He's faithful to skunks like Jacob. So isn't that good news for us? Jacob. We're talking about Isaac. Sorry, Jacob was a skunk too, and he was with Jacob. All right. We'll get there. All right. So we need to believe. Listen, I heard J.D. Greer say something like this. We need to believe our way into our feelings 
Let faith govern and shape our feelings, not the other way around. Sometimes we let our feelings impact and shape our faith, which really makes it unbelief. It feeds our doubts. So I love this quote by Eric Tonis. He's a professor at Biola. He says, and if you've been here for a couple years, you've heard me quote this. I don't know what. There's this idea that to live out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy. But that's a wrong definition of hypocrisy. To live out of conformity to what I believe is hypocrisy. To live in conformity with what I believe in spite of what I feel isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. Should we read that again? There's this idea that to live out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy, like I'm not being true or authentic. But that's a wrong definition of hypocrisy. To live out of conformity to what I believe is hypocrisy, to live in conformity with what I believe in spite of what I feel isn't hypocrisy, it's integrity. So listen, folks, we don't fake belief in God, but we do fight for it. We fight our unbelief because we know, even when we don't know or feel, we know that God's faithful. Right? So we say to our soul, come rejoice now, O my soul, because he's mine forevermore. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Because he's faithful. Because he's made promises. Because we know that God is true and trustworthy and gracious and loving and he keeps his promises and he is with us even when we don't feel like he is. He is a very present help in trouble like Laurie read earlier. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. The Lord of hosts is with us. Amen?